Today's reading is 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. So this morning is uh, one of those mornings maybe where uh, scripture and the sermon can hit really close to home. I know, I know personally it does so for me, and that's, that's okay, because I think one of the most powerful things about scripture is not just that, you know, we read it, but so often it reads us too in powerful and profound ways. And so today, you know, we're doing uh, our fall series. It's this survey of some of the great stories of the Old Testament, some of the great figures. And so today we meet Elijah. And Elijah is the great prophetic figure in the Old Testament. I mean, he's so important that when it comes to Jesus' ministry, people are wondering, you know, is Jesus Elijah? Is John the Baptist Elijah? And so the impression that Elijah makes in just a few short chapters of Scripture 
leaves an indelible imprint on the life and imagination of God's people. And so his ministry came forth in in an area of not just religious pluralism in the northern kingdom, the southern and northern kingdoms of Israel had divided, but it was a time of great religious persecution too. That uh, there was a king, Ahab, and his wife, Jezebel, and she had introduced worship of Baal. But not only that, she had persecuted those who worshipped the Lord. And so Elijah was, was born into this time and, and, and was given a ministry to call attention to the wickedness and the corruption and the faithlessness of the leadership of God's people, particularly Ahab. And Elijah had this incredible ministry, a ministry unlike anyone else. He raised a widow's son from death. He bested 450 prophets of Baal. He was uh, the rain stopper and the rain maker in that he announced the beginning of a drought that would bring a terrible famine on the land. And after three years, he announced that the rains were coming again. But you would never know that from 1 Kings chapter 19. Here we meet Elijah in a very different place. We meet Elijah not as the great healer, not as the great prophet, but as the patron saint of burnout. Now, burnout is not a new phenomenon, but I think it's something that that the pandemic certainly, you know, we say these last 18 months, well, is it 19 months now? I'm not sure. You know, we have to keep adjusting the calendar. These past 18, 19 months that, that, that people have become a lot more aware of and I think have experienced more burnout than ever before. Doctors, nurses, they're burned out caring for the sick and for the dying. Parents, they're burned out. 19 months of disruption in education and no break and online school and quarantine and these this kind of constant disruptions. Teachers are burned out, trying to balance the the needs of of different students, you know, trying to balance uh, teaching kids and and enforcing uh, pandemic restrictions and trying to teach, you know, distance and then hybrid and, and now in person, teaching to, you know, black tiles on a on a zoom screen wondering is anyone listening and now the tiny little faces hidden behind masks the spouses are burned out because they never had to spend so much time together and gone are the regular routines and the regular boundaries around work life and home life and, and just exhausted with having to constantly negotiate and, and navigate how to live life safely. And clergy are burned out from adopting on kind of turn of a dime, a whole new way of doing church, a whole new way of being church. Burned out by, by cultural and, and congregational conflict, right, around, around everything under the sun. The pandemic, mass, uh, racial justice, politics, you name it. It's burned out. And so we hear that phrase. We go, what, what is it? What are we talking about when we're talking about burnout? And I think it's, it's at its most basic, what we're talking about is this kind of an emotional relational, vocational, spiritual, and, and, and mental exhaustion 
when you reach the end of yourself and you come to the point where you're, you're just spent, you're hurt, you're angry, you're numb, and you just want to give up. That's burnout. And when we read 1 Kings chapter 19, that's where Elijah is. And so the question I have is why? How could this have happened to Elijah? Especially given the fact that he's just experienced, I mean, the greatest triumph of his ministry, the greatest triumphs of his ministry. He had faced down the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You know, this trial, this trial between the prophet of the Lord, singular one, and the prophets of Baal. And he won in a rout. He had called down, you know, the fire from heaven. And the people had responded uh, to his winning the trial by, by putting all the prophets of Baal to the sword. And seemingly, you know, making this vow of recommitment to exclusive worship of the Lord. And the Lord had even ended a, a three-year drought, which had been a source of great hardship and famine for the people. So you go, how could things get any better? He could not have succeeded more. And so Eliza has reached the pinnacle of success. And yet from 1 Kings chapter 19, you would not know that. You'd think that, well, nothing had ever gone right for him. That he had never won anything. That, that instead, his, his life, his ministry had just been one defeat after another. That's what you'd think. But the ugly truth is this. That the relationship between success and burnout is not so cut and dry. In fact, I think many people that experience burnout are highly successful people. They're driven, motivated. They do great work. But at some point, their life has become like the proverbial sports car. You know, this finely tuned, well-oiled, perfect, beautiful machine meant to be the, the pinnacle of driving experience. But they're ignoring the warning signs, the maintenance Required light, the check engine light, the oil pressure gauge, the tire pressure warning, the engine overheating warning, and finally, the gas light. You can only do that. You can only ignore the signs of danger for so long before something breaks down and you can't keep going. The, the relationship between success on the one hand and burnout on the other is well understood by the Canadian church leadership guru, Kerry Newhoff. And he's probably like, if, if people know me, you know, like, I, I, I am a fan of Kerry Newhoff uh, uh, with qualification. Like, you know, the, the church growth, the church leadership movement, um, I think he's kind of the best of that crew. And so I do resonate a lot with what Kerry Newhoff talks about. But he wrote a book about his experience of burnout and it's called Didn't See It Coming. And he didn't see it coming because his experience of burnout came immediately on the heels of really what was one of what he thought was the defining moments of success in his career. He had just given a keynote address at a, at a, a church conference down at this church in Atlanta called North Point. And North Point is pastored by this guy named Andy Stanley. And if you're into church leadership at all, Andy Stanley is like the king of this world. And North Point is like the shining example of how to have an amazing church and do an amazing ministry. Like, like North Point is it. And so here, Carrie admires this person, admires their church. And not only is he invited to speak at this conference, he gives the keynote. And the feedback he receives is universally positive. He's told that he hit a grand slam 
home run with his talk. And so you think strength to strength, right? You have reached the pinnacle of your career. You know, this, he had started out, Carrie, as a, um, he was 40 years old. He had started out uh, as a student pastor. He was in seminary, uh, serving three little tiny churches north of, of Toronto. You know, the mega church had 20 people attending on a given Sunday. The mini church had, had, um, had, had six people. And so when his wife and himself and their infant son showed up, they, you know, increased the attendance by, by 50%. And so he started there, and, and he had actually built this church. Uh, uh, these three little churches had become one church, and, and they were one of the largest and fastest-growing churches in his denomination in Canada. So he's done that. Right? He gives, he's, he's now a sought-after speaker, and immediately, or almost immediately after this talk, um, his life and his ministry almost fell apart. And it wasn't because of any scandal, you know. He, he wasn't having an inappropriate relationship outside of his marriage. He wasn't stealing money. He wasn't abusing drugs or alcohol. He was burned out. He came home, and he shut down. Because on the inside, he was empty. And his body and his mind just made him stop dead in his tracks. And he never saw it coming. And so Elijah's story is one that many of us will relate to. And if we can't, if we can't relate to this story exactly, maybe we relate to parts of it. And even if we can't do that, I think we should know the signs that we can see here. So we can see the signs in the people we love and care about, that they're burning out. And so in our passage this morning, there's really six signs of burnout that we see in Elijah, but also six kind of treatments that God offers for it. And none of it is to name and shame the burnout. God doesn't do that for Elijah. And there's always, when we we speak about burnout and we look at this passage, there's always aspects of it that are humorous. Because so much of what people who are burned out are telling themselves are distortions of the truth, if not outright lies. And there is something absurd about that. But commentators, um, you know, in decades previous, have often shamed Elijah for what he does in this passage. They said he's fearful, he's weak. You know, they, they look at the juxtaposition between the success of chapter 18 and, and, and the burnout of chapter 19, and they say there's something wrong with Elijah. You know, he's afraid. He's afraid of a woman, you know, Jezebel. Or he just doesn't have enough faith. And I'm not going to do that. Because to name these signs is not to shame. And so let's, let's look first at those signs. The signs that we see in Elijah that translate to today. And the first sign of burnout might seem so obvious as to not even need to be pointed out, but it is important to see. The first sign of burnout we see here is fatigue. So Elijah's on the run. You know, Jezebel, is, Ahab says, hey, this happened. Elijah just defeated the prophets of Baal, and oh, the rain cloud is coming. And Jezebel says, we saw at the beginning of the passage, may the Lord do to me, or may the gods do to me, and more so if I don't make him like one of them by tomorrow. So she's threatening his life. And so he runs away. He's, he's, he's afraid. He runs away and he lies down beneath a broom tree and falls asleep. And so one of the things about burnout, one of the first signs is, is fatigue. And not just in being tired, but just in going through life, lacking the energy we once had. Right? That's maybe the first sign. And, and it's an easy sign to overlook because there's always plenty of reasons we have for being tired, for 
just not feeling quite like ourselves. But this is our, our body's way and our spirit's way of giving us indication that it's time to start paying attention. So the first sign is fatigue. The second sign is escapism. So Elijah is literally running away. We, we, we can't blame him for sort of trying to get away to spare his life. But he doesn't just, you know, kind of run away from, from the threat of, of Jezebel and Ahab who want to kill him. But he tries to escape from everything. So, you know, this is a, where Jezreel is. That's in the northern kingdom. Well, he goes all the way to Beersheba, which is on the very edge of civilization in, in the southern kingdom. And so he's trying to escape his ministry. He's trying to escape people. He, he doesn't want to have anything to do with what he was doing for, before. And that's another telltale sign of burnout. You start fantasizing about running away. What if I just left everything and everyone behind and started over. But more troubling than his, his physical escape is his desire we see here to escape life itself. Listen to his prayer. He says, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now I want to call this you know, necessarily suicidal ideation because maybe it's just imposing something on the story here that's not there, but it's close to it if it's not. And Kerry Newhoff talks about this in his own experience. He says, when you're burning out, you can reach the point where you believe the lie that you're better off dead or that your only way out is to end life itself and that really, you know, if you did that, you'd be doing everyone else a favor too. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. So there's fatigue, there's fantasizing about just getting away from everything. And, and I think closely related to uh, escapism is another sign of burnout, isolation. So Elijah runs away, not just from danger, not just from everyone, but when he reaches Beersheba, like I said, which is on the very edge, I mean, it's the last outpost before you enter into a great wilderness. It says that Elijah even left his servant behind. And so when we're burning out, what we do is we isolate ourselves from other people because they won't understand us or they can't understand us or they irritate us. We just don't have the energy for it. And this happens even to people who are extroverted, even people who are sociable find themselves in this place. Um, Kerry Newhoff talks about going, you know, his own experience, driving to his church's small group with his wife, and he begs her. He says, let me just stay in the car. You go. And this was from someone who was like a social butterfly. At one point, he had been the life of the party. And he just wants to be alone. And so isolation, though, it's so dangerous because if we think about, you know, how does a wolf pick off a sheep from the flock? Separates it and isolates it from the rest. So it can be easier to pick off. And Scripture tells us it's not good for a human being to be alone. We're created for community. And so when we isolate ourselves, when we're dealing with burnout, you know, some of us are introverted. And so, you know, we need kind of time by ourselves to recharge. Isolation is not that. And you know the difference? Because when you're alone, it's something that's not actually recharging you, but leaving you further depleted. And there's an important nuance and distinction that's sometimes difficult to get here between, you know, solitude and isolation. 
Solitude is a good kind of aloneness, a healthy kind of aloneness. Solitude is what I believe Elijah experiences on Mount Horeb toward the end of our passage. But isolation is bad aloneness. It's what he is experiencing when he prays for his own death in the wilderness. Leads us to the fourth sign of burnout. So why do we isolate? I think the answer is, is bitterness. Some might even call it cynicism. We get bitter because we've been burned. We get bitter because we've given up hope. And the thing about people who are, are experiencing bitterness is they didn't actually used to be that way. They used to be open. They used to be optimistic. They used to be filled with hope, but now they know too much. They've been hurt one too many times. Fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so bitterness and, and the accompanying cynicism, they're the, they're the defense mechanisms of wounded hearts. And we can hear the bitterness in Elijah's voice when he prays for death. He says, I'm no better than my fathers. They failed. I failed. He's bitter. And we can hear the bitterness in his answer to the Lord's question. When he says, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah is a bitter man because he is the owner of a wounded heart. And why? And so here we really get, I think, to the crux of the issue and the fifth and the sixth signs of burnout we see in Elijah, which explains why he is exhausted, why he wants to escape, why he's isolated himself, why he's bitter. And the fifth sign is this. It's that despite his success, or maybe because of it, he feels on the one hand, paradoxically, both like a failure himself and like he's been failed. Now, we objectively looking at it go, how can he be a failure when the drought has just ended and he has just won this incredible victory over the prophets of Baal? How can he say, I'm no better than my fathers? Because when this had happened and, and he'd run ahead to Jezreel, which is the royal city in the northern kingdom, after these great victories he's experienced, and, and, and he goes, he, he expects that Ahab and Jezebel are finally going to capitulate. He thinks, there's no denying it. They're going to repent. They're going to give up their idolatry. They're going to stop this religious persecution of those who worship the Lord. I mean, how could they not after the rains had started falling? How could they not after what had happened at Mount Carmel? What more proof do they need? But when Ahab tells Jezebel her reaction is not repentance, but vengeance. And so Elijah had this expectation that his success meant it was a new day in Israel. He thought he'd won, but instead he found himself facing another battle. Even though he was a success, he felt like a failure. Burnout does that to us. It turns even our victories into defeat. And not only does Elijah feel like a failure, but part of burnout, that part that makes you bitter, is feeling like not only have I failed, but I've been failed. 
Other people have let you down. But for Elijah and for, for believers, the hardest part of all is to feel like God has let you down. Listen to what Elijah says again. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Right? I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything right. For the people of Israel, they're the problem. They have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. They have killed your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left. God, I did everything right. I was jealous for you, Lord, and they seek to take my life. I did everything right, but the people, they have done everything wrong, and now I alone am left. And so Elijah, you know, we can see he believes that he has failed. But more than anything else, he believes he has been failed. He's the victim here. And so in burnout, there is the combination of strong elements of both self-loathing and self-pity. It's a toxic combination. It's a vicious cycle of disappointment. Which brings me to the sixth and final sign here we see in our passage of burnout. Elijah is stuck. He goes to Mount Horeb, to the mountain of God. This is uh, Mount Sinai, the other name for it. And God asks Elijah the same exact question twice. And both times, Elijah gives the same answer, word for word. Even after this experience of the Lord passing him by, okay, we think surely, you know, this encounter with God means that he is going to have an epiphany. He's going to snap out of it. But no, that's what makes burnout so hard to escape is that it leaves us, you know, feeling defeated and feeling stuck, believing the lies that we're alone. And Elijah was not alone. That was a lie. The Lord says at the end, there's 7,000 who haven't, you know, bowed the knee to, to, to Baal. So believing the lie is alone and believing the lie that, that this is the way things were always fated to turn out and so this is the way things will always continue to be. You're just destined to remain this way forever. You know, he's stuck. In his mind, nothing is ever going to change. All right, so those are the six signs of burnout to watch for. Fatigue, escapism, isolation, bitterness, the sense of failure or being failed, and stuckness. And if that describes you, right, you know you're in trouble. And, 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 and knowing that, and, and, and if you find yourself in that place, it's not to shame anyone. People who burn out are not bad people. You're not a bad person because you're burning out. You're a bad person because you're a sinner just like everybody else, all right? And so the point of getting the right diagnosis isn't to say you're bad because you have the disease, but so you can have the right treatment. So you can get right. And actually, we see right here in 1 Kings 19, we don't have to wait for Elijah to get the treatment. We see the treatment right here in this passage. So how does God treat burnouts? What does he do? First, look at what God does for Elijah. He's under the broom tree. He's in the wilderness. He's exhausted. He's alone. He wants to die. And the angel of the Lord appears to him, touches him, and says what? Arise and eat. Because there's some pita bread right there with water. And so God's first step to treating burnout is to meet 
basic physical needs. There is a a, a saying that 70% of discipleship is a good night's sleep. And there's truth in that. And so healing from burnout means beginning to attend to the basics of, of, of physical health. Our sleeping patterns, our diet, exercise, physical activity, all of those things matter to God. They're spiritual. So the first thing that God does is meet Elijah's basic physical needs. And step two in God's burnout treatment plan is that he allows for Elijah to strategically retreat. And this retreat is not a defeat. God isn't letting Elijah quit the ministry, but God does send him on a retreat to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, the mountain where Moses met God. Now, some commentators, they they chide Elijah. They go, he's running away even further. You know, he's running away to a cave. He's trying to live someone else's story, you know, by tracing Moses' footsteps. But it ignores the fact that this retreat is God sends him there. The food and water give him strength for the journey, strength that he doesn't have in himself. And so step two for healing from burnout is retreat. It's stepping back. It's slowing down. It's taking a Sabbath or a sabbatical. And and, and this is where Elijah's, what was isolation in the wilderness, becomes solitude on the mountain. And this retreat is about more than getting away from the problem. It's about getting back in touch with what is most important, his, his connection to God. You know, part of burning out is, is running away, but part of healing is running toward. Step three in this treatment plan, when Elijah reaches the cave for his spiritual retreat, God asks good questions. God is, is the master uh, therapist here. Ask this very simple but profound question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And it's such a good question because like all great questions, it's open-ended. It's not yes or no. It's no right or wrong. It invites Elijah into self-reflection, introspection. It's a question that Elijah could take in a hundred different directions. And God doesn't just ask this question once. He asks it a second time too. And this is not redundancy. This is not a mistake. You know, some scholars of the Old Testament go, well, there was, the scribes accidentally copied some parts of the story down twice. It completely misses the point. The best questions are the ones that we can keep coming back to. You know, what am I doing here? How how did I get to this place? What do I want from this situation? What are my expectations? And not only, you know, step three of this treatment plan, this treatment process, God asks really good questions. Step four, God listens. You know, God is not clapping back at Elijah, his his self-pitying answer he gives twice. He doesn't condemn him and go, I, like, I just revealed myself to you. You want to say something different? God doesn't do that. He listens. He takes it. And when we're burned out, that's what we need. Someone to listen. Someone to listen. You know, and that doesn't necessarily mean someone's you know, validating our insights that come from a place of deep brokenness. That's not what we need. What we need is to be heard, to be understood to be valued and loved in that way. 
And so God gives Elijah one of the greatest gifts of all, the gift of a listening ear. Step five, when God does speak, he speaks tenderly. He doesn't do it as a fire. He doesn't do it as an earthquake. He doesn't do it as a wind. There are times and places in Scripture and in, in our lives when God does speak in that way. In fact, if we were to go back to you know, Exodus and the last time when God was speaking to his people at Mount Sinai, the, the, the wind, the fire, the earthquake, that's how God spoke to them. But here Elijah gets something different. He gets what the King James Version translates as the still, small voice which translates this extremely enigmatic Hebrew phrase that means literally a sound, a thin silence. A sound or a voice, a thin silence. What kind of a phrase is that? I love it. And in this instance, the Lord knows that what the burned-out Elijah needs is a tender voice. And we don't know in this instant what God said. We just know how he said it. And finally, and, and maybe this is paradoxically, but, but the last step in God's treatment plan for Elijah's burnout is to send him back to work with a new purpose. I think the truth about healing from burnout is that the answer is to not stop working forever. That's not a long-term solution. The answer is to rediscover God's purpose and to not repeat the patterns and habits that got us to that place, the place of burnout in the first place. And so God reframes the purpose for Elijah's ministry. You know, Elijah thought it was to, to convert and conquer Jezebel and Ahab. But God shows him that, that the plan and purpose for his ministry is to continue in his faithful opposition and to prepare the next generation. All right, so there's, you know, some nice symmetry. The, the, the six symptoms or signs and the six, you know, parts of treatment, but something is missing. And I think one of the most important causes for Christians who are experiencing burnout is forgetting our first love. Forgetting who first loved us. And my favorite verses in the New Testament is, you know, Matthew 11 chapter 28, where Jesus offers rest for weary souls. Right? Come to me, he says. He invites, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, a.k.a. people who are burned or are burning out. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my way is different. I am gentle. I am humble in heart. And when you do that, you are going to find rest for your souls. We don't know what the still, small voice said, but I bet it was something just like that. One of our older members, LaVon Frank, was talking to her, and, and she shared with me once one of her favorite verses of Scripture as she is facing, you know, all kinds of stuff in her life that a 90-year-old that a woman would face, 90-plus-year-old woman would face. And in the midst of all the difficulties, she says, what, you know, my favorite verse of Scripture is this, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't want us to just be better. 
but he wants us to get better. And I owe this last insight to to Tim Keller, but he says this. He says, look at where Elijah hides when he goes on the mountain. It's the cave, which the cave is the rock. And and when God passed by Moses on Mount Sinai, Moses hid himself in the rock. And so Elijah's in the same place. And so the rock is what protects Elijah from the fire and from the earthquake and from the storm. And he says, we know who that rock is. Jesus is the rock. And so we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be moved, shaken. We're not going to be burned out. Because he is the rock who has taken all of those things upon himself so we don't have to. And so my last word is this, that if you're burned out or you're burning out, you know, that that you seek the Lord and you, and you, you seek help. Right? Finding someone to talk to, there's no shame in that. And, and what, what, you know, what do we have to lose? What do you have to lose but your burdens? And don't try to do this on your own. You know, just go, if I can just kind of muster up a little bit more, I'll be able to do it. Don't try to do it on your own. But know that you are never, ever, ever alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.